where we left off in uh, Act, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. And I appreciate y'all's flexibility, and I'm sorry, you know, that it's kind of been back and forth, but we will meet Sunday at First Baptist, 1045 in the morning, 6 o'clock at night. I'll be preaching both services, so uh, um, our meetings will be there, and then next Wednesday back here, and then we'll... we'll uh, That'll be the, the end. Brother James and his wife Tracy are on vacation, and so we'll be um, be filling in there, and we'll worship jointly. And, uh, and then, you know, after those those services, I think we'll be ready to to make a decision. We've done all the information gathering we can do, and uh, I think we're soon after that we'll be be able to make a final call on on our merger so continue to pray for that in our services Sunday and uh, um, it all would, would go well all right so Acts chapter uh, Isaiah been talking to a, a brother pastor about Acts uh, this afternoon and so I don't know that's on my brain it was <laughs> so uh, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not, I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say, a conspiracy concerning all that these people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I, and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. All right, so you remember the... The historical setting, do you remember the context of what's going on in, uh, in this, this part of this section of the book of Isaiah? What's the this, this situation? Okay, so Ahaz, the king of Judah, a wicked, evil king, uh, wants to enter an alliance with Assyria because what is the threat that he faces?
Yes, so, so Israel and Syria have uh, formed an alliance against Assyria, and they want Ahaz to join their alliance to defend themselves against Assyria. Ahaz doesn't want to do that. He wants instead to seek help from the king of Assyria. And so Israel and Syria have moved against Judah, enjoying great success in the first part of the campaign in the northern part of the country. And now they have laid siege to Jerusalem. And they want to overthrow King Ahaz, remove him from the throne, and install a king that will go along with them. Ahaz wants the king of Assyria to come to his aid. And so Isaiah was sent to Ahaz to tell him that the conspiracy of Syria and Israel will not stand. It will fail. That uh, those kings will be uh, taken away. Their kingdoms will be plundered by the king of Assyria. But also... Since Ahaz wants to align with Assyria, Assyria will come upon Judah as well and bring great devastation. And so, uh, so uh, the king of Assyria will come against Judah after he destroys Israel and Syria. And so that's kind of where we come. So Ahaz, Isaiah has been sent to deliver this message from the Lord to Ahaz. And now in verse 11... The Lord speaks to Isaiah. So Isaiah has faithfully delivered his message. And now in verse 11, the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand. And so, uh, so God now speaks to Isaiah in an unmistakable way, showing his sovereignty and his power to encourage and comfort his prophet. His prophet has been sent to deliver this message. This message was not well received. This message was rejected. The king had made up his mind what he wanted to do. He didn't want to be confused or, or distracted with a word from the Lord. He didn't care uh, that the Lord promised him a sign. He had decided what he was going to do, and the words that Isaiah spoke to him were of no effect. And, uh, and so now the Lord speaks to Isaiah to bring a word of encouragement to him. Uh, a word of, uh, of, of caution. And so the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Now what, what side are the people on? What, what do they want to happen? The people of Jerusalem, the people of Judah. Do you all remember that? Look at verse... Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 8. So are the people on the side of their king Ahaz? Do they agree with him? No. The people want to join with Israel and Syria. Ahaz wants to go to Assyria, so he is leading uh, the, the nation to do things that would not pass a popular vote. The people want to align with Israel and Syria, with Rezin and Ramaliah's son. And so that's what the people want to do. And, uh, and now the Lord tells Isaiah, don't walk in the way of this people. 
And do not say a conspiracy concerning all that these people can call a conspiracy. And so the conspiracy is a, an alliance, a joining together of people. People coming together to accomplish a goal, to accomplish a purpose. And there are really two conspiracies in the setting. Uh, the one with Israel and Syria conspiring together to overthrow Ahaz and install a king that will go on their side. And then there's the conspiracy of Ahaz wanting to align with the king of Assyria. And so, uh, so Isaiah is, is told, uh, don't go in the way of the people. Don't join into these conspiracies and stand firm. Because both of these conspiracies come from disbelief. Both of these conspiracies are a rejection of the word of the Lord. The Lord said, don't look to Israel and Syria for your safety, look to me. Don't look to Assyria for your safety, look to me. And so both of these conspiracies are from disbelief. A rejection of the Lord, a rejection of the word, the word of the Lord, and the Lord wants them simply to uh, trust in Him. And so... Uh, so both of these conspiracies are a denial of faith and a refusal to trust in the Lord and disobedience to his word. And so Isaiah is being called to faithfulness. He is being called to stand firm. He is being told not to go with the majority rule. Uh, he's being warned against following his heart. He's being commanded to stand for truth even if it is considered treason even if it means you are rebelling against the king even if it means you are going against the civil authority and might be accused of being a traitor or accused of insurrection don't go with them don't be afraid of them follow the lord regardless of the consequences don't go with the mob don't go with popular opinion and don't just blindly obey the civil authorities and so the Lord tells him, don't walk in the way of this people. Don't say a conspiracy concerning all that these people call a conspiracy. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And so stand firm, don't be afraid. And this parallels uh, 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 something that Jesus told his followers over in Matthew chapter 10. He said, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And so don't fear the mob. Don't fear the civil authorities. Stand firm in the truth, no matter what the consequences might be. Um, and so don't fear the people, but fear the Lord. And so, uh, so, so don't, don't go along with the mob, don't go along with the civil authorities blindly, instead fear the Lord. In verse 13, what, what name does he use for the Lord? The Lord of hosts, okay, what's significance about that title, about that name of God? Okay, the Lord, covenant name, Yahweh, and then of host. All right, so the host, the armies, uh, uh, the masses. So he is the Lord of armies. He is the commander of, of, of the armies. And he's the commander of the armies of heaven. He is also the commander of the armies of the earth. 
He uses kings and nations and armies as instruments of his plan and his purpose. He uses these armies to accomplish his objectives and his purposes. And so the, the fact that he calls him the Lord of hosts is a reminder that he is the commander of massive armies. He is the commander-in-chief of all the armies of the heaven and the earth. And so don't be afraid of these armies that have come together against you, but be in fear of the one who is the commander of these armies. Uh, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. All right, what does it mean, hallowed be the Lord's name? What does that mean? All right, make him holy. Hallow his name. You know, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, set him apart. Uh, uh, recognize his holiness. The fear of these kings, the fear of the civil authority, the fear of the mobs can only be driven out by the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord puts all these other things in proper perspective. You should see the Lord is holy. Hallow the Lord and respond to his holiness with proper awe, respect, and honor. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. You should set apart, see as holy. Recognize his sovereignty, his power, and because of his holiness, you should respond to him with fear. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And so don't fear the mobs or the civil authorities and said, let the Lord of hosts be your fear, your dread. See his power and his might. See his holiness, his justice, and run to him for safety, for protection, and for provision. Uh, the wise preacher in Proverbs says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the more we know about God, the more we know about his holiness, the more we know about his power, the more that we know about his character and his nature, the more that we should stand in awe of him and revere him. Uh, we, uh, we, we fear him. And as his children, as his people, we fear his discipline, but we need not stand in fear of his eternal judgment. Uh, why do we need not stand in fear of God's eternal judgment? Because Jesus took that punishment for us. And so we, we, we have this awe, this reverence, this honor. We fear his discipline. He disciplines us that he treats us as son. But we need not fear his eternal judgment because Jesus took that in his substitutionary atoning death. Uh, when he died on the cross, he died turning away God's wrath from all who believe. And his resurrection from the dead proves that God's wrath has been turned away from all who believe in Jesus, but we do stand in awe and reverence of his massive power and might and his complete and total holiness. And so Isaiah said, don't, don't fear these people. Don't fear the mob. Don't fear the king. Fear the Lord. Uh, let him be the object of you. Set him apart as holy in your heart, and then you will respond to him in an appropriate way. 
uh, and he, verse 14, he will be as a sanctuary for you, a holy abode, a dwelling place. So the word sanctuary comes from the word holy as well. So he will dwell in your midst. Remember, we've, the theme of this particular passage, this particular section, is Emmanuel. God, uh, Ahaz was told to ask for a sign. He refused to ask for a sign. But God said, I'll give you one anyway. A virgin will be with child. She will bring forth a son. You will call his name Emmanuel. And that fulfillment is hundreds of years in the future. And yet, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, this is his land. God is working out his plan and his purpose. And, uh, and he will dwell in the midst of his people. He will be as a sanctuary. And his presence among his people make you safe. He will be a sanctuary. Uh, run to him for safety. Uh, you are safe because he dwells in the midst of his people. To those who trust in him, he will be a sanctuary, a holy dwelling place, a shelter, a fortress, a stronghold, a, a, a rock. And so those who fear him, he will be a sanctuary, a place of safety. But what will he be to those who do not fear him, who do not revere him, who do not obey him? What will he be to them? Yeah, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, a trap, and a snare. And so uh, uh, those who trust him find a safe dwelling place, a rock, a fortress, an anchor. Those who reject him, that same stone that is the safe place of safety for those who believe, becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense for those who do not believe. He becomes a trap and a snare. And God is unchanging. He is uh, uh, eternal. His nature, his character does not change. The change, the difference is the response. Those who hallow him, those who fear him, those who revere him, find him as a stone, a fortress, a stronghold, a dwelling place. But the exact same God to those who reject him becomes a stumbling block, a stumbling stone. Uh, Jesus, the cornerstone of the church, uh, is a stone of stumbling for those who reject him. And so uh, uh, the difference is our response. Those who trust him find safety in him. Those who do not trust him find him to be a great danger, a trap, a snare, uh, and they will fall and be broken and, uh, uh, and be captured. So uh, same God, different responses, and is a different result. So Isaiah is counseled, do not walk in the way of his people. Do not turn to Syria and Israel for your safety. Do not turn to the king of Assyria for your safety. If you do, that will be, the God will be a stumbling block to you. A snare, a trap, you will be taken away. But instead, fear the Lord. 
Don't fear the ones who can only destroy the body, but fear the one that can destroy both body and soul and hell. Fear him and find safety in him. And then, uh, so, so fear the Lord, hallow him. Don't walk in the way of the people, but fear the Lord. And also, don't walk in the way of the people, but stand firm on the word of the Lord. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among the disciples. So hold fast to his word. God has spoken. He has spoken his word. And then in verse 16, what uh, you talk about binding up the testimony. What's, what's the picture? What do we, what do we call this on a, a book? The binding. <laughs> yeah, so, so God has spoken, and now he's saying, don't just speak it. Write it down. Put it in a book. We want written testimony because this prophecy is 800 years in the future. And so write it down. And what, how, how is written revelation better than oral revelation? Okay, so, so once it's written down, it's there. Bind it up, seal it. It's, it's, it's unchanging. If we are relying on oral communication from generation to generation, it might become distorted. It might change. Our memories might not be perfect. Uh, we might uh, uh, not perfectly pass it down from generation to generation, but when God's revelation is written down, uh, then we can pass it down through those 800 years in a way that is consistent, it's unchanging. We have the written revelation um, because it's going to be hundreds of years before the prophecy of Emmanuel is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And so this written word can be preserved and it can also be studied and inspected. It's written down. Everybody has the same thing. And if we have disputes about what he says, we can go to the word and see what it actually says. We can study it. We can inspect it. We can compare uh, what we believe with what God has said. We can settle our disputes, our arguments by going to the written word, the written revolution, revelation. And so Isaiah has spoken his word to Ahaz. And now God says, bind it, write it down, put it in a book, put it in writing. Because this is a word that doesn't just come to Ahaz and it doesn't just come to the people of, a of Isaiah's day, but it comes to all people at all places at all times that have access to this written revelation for the 800 years that we're waiting for Emmanuel. They can go and they can read this promise. They can read those assurances. They can stand fast on the word of the Lord. So write it down, bind it, put it in a book, and then seal it. And in the ancient world, what, what was the significance of the, the seal? All right, it would be, be unbroken, so it would show, uh, it, you know, you, you would seal it to, to show that it had not been tampered with. We, we still do that today on shipping containers. You know, they'll put a seal, a serial numbered seal on the container. And so when it gets to its destination, if it was the same seal that was shipped the receiver can say well this is exactly what got packed at the the shipping place and it has not been tampered with it has not been changed nothing's been taken away nothing's been added this is exactly what was sent and so it's a, a sign of uh, security authenticity or, or also 
the signature. You know, the king would have his signet ring. He would put wax on that, and he would put his seal to authenticate the message. And so, so bind it up, seal it, don't add anything to it, don't take anything away with it, and, and, and write this down as a trustworthy, reliable, authentic word from God. Seal it up. Uh, write it down. Seal it up to guarantee its authenticity. Don't tamper with it with any way. And so this word is given to Isaiah to comfort him, but it's also given to the people of his day to encourage them to stand firm, and it is given to the people uh, up till now <laughs> to, to see that God is faithful to his word. He promised Emmanuel 800 years. He brought Emmanuel, and Emmanuel fulfilled his mission and his purpose, and now he is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit and bodily at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And so this word to be sealed up, to be written down so that it can be passed on from generation to generation. And so uh, don't walk in the way of the people. Set the Lord apart as holy in your heart. Fear him. Stand firm on his word. And then third, wait for the Lord. Wait for him. Verse 17, I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. And so I think here Isaiah is actually showing a reversal of the covenant blessing. Remember back in number six, the priests are giving a blessing to put on the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, another word for face, the Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. All right, but here we see a reversal. Wait on the Lord even though he hides his face from the house of Jacob. Not lifting up his countenance upon them. Not making his face to shine upon them. But instead hiding his face in discipline and, and wrath and judgment. And so even though it's going to look like God has forsaken his people. Even though it's going to look like the promises will not be fulfilled. Even though it's going to look like the nation is going to be destroyed. The house of David is going to be thrown off the throne. Even though it's going to look like this. Wait. Wait during the time of darkness. Stand firm on God's word. Wait for the fulfillment of the prophets. And even in this time of darkness, this time of waiting, hope in the world, hope in the Lord. Wait with confidence that the Lord is working out his plan and that his word will stand, that his purposes will be accomplished, that his plan will be fulfilled. And so... Wait on the Lord and hope in Him. Wait on the Lord in dark days. Wait on the Lord when He hides His face from His people. Wait on the Lord, even though it seems like those covenant blessings have been reversed. Wait. The Lord is going to hide His face. There's going to be a lack of peace. Judgment and discipline is going to come. 
It might seem like the Lord has rejected His people and His promises are no more, yet Isaiah will not lose hope. He will wait with determination through the darkness, confident in the coming deliverance. So don't walk in the way of the people. Instead, hallow the Lord in your heart, fear Him. Stand firm on His word. No matter what it might cost, even if it's considered to be treason, Stand firm on his word, wait on the Lord, and hope in him, and hope in his testimony, his word. And so then Isaiah says, here am I, and the children whom the Lord has given me, we are signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. All right, what's the significance of his children? Isaiah's children. Yeah. They have prophetic names. Yeah, so they themselves, by their names, they're a word from the Lord. Shir Jashub, a remnant will return. Mer Shalah Hashbaz, speed to the plunder, speed to the spoil. And so, remember these, these two boys have prophetic names. Before Mer Shalah Hashbaz, uh, can say, Mama and Dada, uh, Israel and Syria are going to have been destroyed by Assyria. And then the king of Assyria is going to come into Jerusalem, but Sher Jashub, a faithful remnant, will return. And so these boys themselves are a word from the Lord by their names. And so Isaiah is saying, Here am I, and here are these boys that God has spoken to you uh, through them, through their names. And so we are a testimony. We are signs and wonders for Israel. These children are a word from the Lord, from the Lord of hosts, the commander-in-chief of all those armies who dwells in Mount Sinai. The darkness, the judgment, the wrath will be temporary, but God's plans for Mount Zion are eternal and unbreakable and unshakable. A faithful remnant will return and receive the blessings from the Lord. The Lord will bless and keep the remnant. The Lord will make his face to shine upon the remnant and he will be gracious to them. The Lord will lift up his countenance to the remnant and give them peace. And so Isaiah stays true to the Lord, testifies to the Lord uh, through the names of these boys. And so, testify to the Lord's truth. Don't walk in the way of the people. Fear the Lord. Trust in His Word. Wait and hope in Him. Testify to the Lord's promises the Lord's faithfulness and don't seek a word from the powers of darkness <laughs> again kind of like don't don't go to the people but also don't go to the demons <laughs> don't uh, verse 19 when they say to you seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter don't go to those 
dark sources to try to find information, to find, try to find truth. The Lord's word is sufficient. Stand on his word, find it up. Don't go to those wizards and mediums. Who, what, what's, what's the role of a medium? What does a medium do? Speaks to the dead. And he goes on and he says that. Uh, you know, should they seek the dead on the behalf of the living? And I believe, you know, that, that, that demons, Satan, can use those occultic practices to deliver just enough truth to deceive someone. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And if we consult the occult, we might hear things that uh, only a demon might know. And they reveal that to us. And what do they do when they reveal that to us? They're reeling you in and uh, open you up to the occult, to the powers of darkness, to demonic forces. Um, and so don't, don't go to the powers of darkness to try to find counsel, to try to find um, uh, uh, advice. Don't go the, to those who reject God, reject God's word to try to find counsel. Don't go to the powers of darkness. Stand firm on God's word. God's word is sufficient. It's authoritative. It's been bound up. Don't go to the mediums and wizards, those who whisper and mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Should, this, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And so some people say, well, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't contradict the truth, is, you know, if, it, if it's just, just advice or counsel, God says there's no light. And even the things that they say that might ring true, it's darkness. And it leads to darkness. There is no light in them. The law and the testimony of the Lord is reliable. It is sufficient. Don't go to the powers of darkness to try to find counsel, to try to find advice, to tell you what to do, how to respond to the conspiracy. Stand firm on God's word. Do not go to the powers of darkness. Do not consult the occult. God's word is sufficient. The people will seek information from the powers of darkness and will not find light. And then, when bad things happen, because they've rejected the Lord, in disbelief, they've allied themselves with either Israel and Syria or with the king of Assyria, and things go bad, and they go into exile, they stumble over the stone, they're taken captive, they're entrapped, uh, are they going to take responsibility for the bad things that happened to them? No, they'll pass through it. Verse 21, they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it will happen when they're hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Not my fault, not my responsibility. I don't take accountability. It's that wicked king, it's all his fault, or ultimately, that was God's fault. Where, where were you? Why didn't you save us? Why didn't you deliver us? Your temple is here. Your temple's in this city. Why did you let this enemy force come in and overrun us? 
We're your people. They will curse their king. They will curse their God. They will look for somebody else to blame. They want to see themselves as a victim and not the villain. This didn't, they, they won't say this came upon me because of my sin, because of my seeking truth from another source, for my seeking protection from another source. Me re, it's, it's not because I rejected the word of the Lord. It's not because of my unbelief. It's not because of my sin. No, I'm looking for somebody else to blame. And they'll blame the king. They'll even blame God for their trouble. They will not take responsibility. They will not take accountability. They will look for somebody else to blame. Anybody but themselves. They want to see themselves as victims and not the villains. It's not fair. And so they, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. And when they look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, they will be delivered into darkness. And so God tells Isaiah, dark days are coming. The people have been unbelieving. They're looking to the kings of Assyria and Syria to save them, or they're looking to the king of Assyria to save them. They rejected the word of the Lord. They are responding with disbelief and disobedience. They are seeking advice and counsel from the powers of darkness and not from the Lord and not from his word. They've rejected his word. They've suppressed his word. They've ignored his word. And so dark days are going to come, and they're not going to take responsibility. They're going to look for somebody else to blame. Dark days are coming, Isaiah. But you stand firm. Don't walk in the way of the people. Hallow God in your heart. Set, set God apart as holy in your heart. Fear him. Stand on his word no matter what. Even if they call you a traitor, if they accuse you of treason and insurrection, stand firm on the word of the Lord. Don't fear the mob. Don't fear the civil authorities. Don't fear the armies. Don't fear the kings. Fear the Lord of hosts, the commander-in-chief of all of these armies. Stand firm, knowing that the Lord is in charge, knowing that he is working out his plan. Don't depend on majority rule. Don't depend on the shifting sands of local and world politics. Don't depend on the powers of the world. Don't depend on the powers of darkness. Occult, demonic practices. Hope in the Lord, even in dark days. Because his deliverance is assured. A remnant will return. God will preserve a remnant. And God's deliverance does not depend upon the worthiness of the present son of David who is occupying the throne. It's not dependent on the worthiness of Ahaz. If it was, it would be destroyed. It's not dependent on the worthiness of the people. Now they are unbelieving, rejected God's light, chose darkness. But God's fulfillment depends on the promised son of David 
Emmanuel, God with us, the promised greater son of David who will not fail and whose kingdom will not come to an end. And that promised son of David, the cornerstone to those who believe, becomes a stone of stumbling to those who reject him. The same one who brings salvation to those who believe brings judgment and wrath to those who remain in their unbelief. And so the fulfillment of this plan, the promise of Emmanuel, is certain and it is assured and a remnant will return and receive God's blessing. And so chapter 8 ends in darkness. But chapter 9 speaks of a great light that will shine. And those who have dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, a light will shine. A light will shine in the darkness. Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is the one who assures the fulfillment of God's plan and promise. So Isaiah, don't walk in the way of the people. Fear the Lord, stand on His word, wait for Him even in the darkness with confidence that He has spoken and that His plan will be fulfilled. Don't walk in the way of the people, Isaiah. All right, questions about Isaiah 8? Yeah, I hate to leave us in the darkness, <laughs> but, that, but, but next, yeah, chapter 9, the light will shine, but that, that's... Uh, they had to wait 800 years. We only have to wait a week. So, <laughs> so, so uh, good. All right, any, any other thoughts about Isaiah 8? All right, don't forget, 1045 Sunday morning at uh, First Baptist and uh, 6 o'clock Sunday night. And then next Wednesday we'll be back here and we'll look at the light that shines in the darkness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word, and Lord, we're thankful that it is sure, and that it is true, and that you have written it down so that we can study it and settle all of our disputes and uncertainty by going back to your word and inspecting it and studying it. We're thankful that it's true, and Lord, we do pray for the grace to wait. when it looks dark, when it looks hopeless, when it looks like there is no grace, there is no peace, that you've hidden your face, Lord, help us to stand and wait with a settled assurance that Christ reigns. He will not fail. He will not lose a single one that you have given to him. And his kingdom will last forever and ever. And so, Lord, no matter how, how dark it gets, help us to stand firm on your word 
to trust, to wait, and to hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.